Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Happy New Year and uh, welcome to Grace Crossing Church, everyone. Honored that you're here with us this morning. Um, For some of you that were out of town last weekend, perhaps with family and you were traveling, this is your first weekend of 2017 being here at Grace Crossing Church. And so we want to welcome you, and we're thankful that you're here, we're grateful that you're a part of what God's doing here. Uh, For some of you, we see a lot of our regular 1115 attendees this morning, but we also see some new faces. And uh, for some of you, this might be your first time at church in a long time, or it might be your first time at church ever. Um, And whenever I'm traveling, like I was last weekend, and my wife and I attend a different church, I'm always reminded of the challenge of darkening the door of a church that you've never been at. And the courage that it takes to walk through those doors and walk into an auditorium and experience how that church does its culture, which might be very different from your own. And so for some of you, this could be very foreign for you this morning being here. Uh, Maybe pulling in the parking lot, you thought about even pulling back out and not even walking through the doors. But you took that bold, courageous step. You walked in here today And I just want to say thank you for coming. Thank you for joining us at Grace Crossing Church. Can we put our hands together and welcome all of our newcomers that are here today? So we pray that you had a wonderful Christmas. We pray that you are off to a great start in 2017. Uh, Whatever you did, we pray that it was meaningful and it was memorable. And you got some extra special time with family and loved ones and those that you really care deeply about here through the holidays. And I hope that you did something that you'll never, ever forget this Christmas. So for me, what I decided to do was have shoulder surgery uh, on December the 15th, something I'll never, ever forget uh, the rest of my life. And um, I've been having some ongoing issues over the last probably two years or so with my right shoulder. Um, And like most really capable, responsible, put-together men, I did what most guys will do, and I ignored it, and I minimized it, and I thought I can just work my way through this, and I can get better through this. But over the past year, things have progressively gotten worse and worse and worse. In fact, uh, Hebrews 13, uh, verse 15, talks about offering to God a sacrifice of praise. And interestingly, over the last year, when I would want to lift my right hand as an act of surrender and worship to God... It was very, very difficult. I was experiencing tremendous pain in my shoulder, and um, it was always reminding me that worship is a form of sacrifice to God. So I finally decided, broke down this fall, went to the doctor, and the doctor, seeing the shoulder, hearing the issues, noticed some swelling, said, let me, let me just order an MRI. And so they did an MRI on my shoulder and thought there was a slight tear in my rotator cuff. I also had a bone spur, had some calcification going on, and some... Uh, wear and tear, basically it was a nice way of saying you're getting older, okay? And he said maybe even some stuff that was caused from some uh, earlier sports injuries. So it was fun while we were back in eastern Pennsylvania. We went to a church on January the 1st with my mother and father-in-law. And I walked into the service, and there in the service was my high school wrestling coach. And I'm still in my armory street. And so I walked up to my wrestling coach and greeted him, and uh, he said, hey, what happened to you? And I said, well, the doctor said it's probably old sports injuries. Thanks so much, coach, for my shoulder surgery. <laughs> or make your day in 2017. 
And so uh, the doctor went in and ended up finding out I didn't have a rotator cuff tear, but I, I did have some damage to the rotator cuff. So we did a rotator cuff uh, decompression, uh, a capsular uh, uh, movement and manipulation and release, and a clavicle resection. I just wanted to be able to say all of that. And uh, it was fun because I went back to him on Wednesday of this week, and the surgeon checked out my shoulder and said, man, it looks like you're moving along really, really well. Keep up what you're doing with the physical therapy. I want to see you back here in about five weeks, and I want to take another image of your shoulder. And then he got a smile on his face. He goes, I kind of kind of rebuilt your shoulder a little. I want to kind of see what, what it looks like. So I don't know what all that means. But I can tell you that for the last three weeks, um, and he released me on Wednesday from having to wear my, my arm restraint, but I've been doing a lot of physical therapy. In fact, I have this chair. It was my gift to myself this Christmas. It's called a CPM, Continuous Passive Motion Chair. I don't know if many of you have ever heard of this, but it is a chair that actually lifts your arm for you and does all the work for you. So for four hours a day, I've been asked to sit in this chair, and using the other hand in remote control, I'm slowly moving my arm, manipulating the abduction and the external rotation. In addition, I'm going to a physical therapist three times a week. You always have a love-hate relationship with physical therapists. And then I'm doing some home exercises. And, um, and I can tell you, thanks to all the hard work, I can finally lift my right arm back up like this. I'm actually getting better. Uh, external rotation, things are still a little painful, a little swollen, a little sore, but I'm moving in the right direction, and I'm so, so thankful for it. But here's what I wanted to say. What I've realized over the last three weeks, yet again, is that our personal health and our well-being is our responsibility. When it comes to how we're doing physically, when it comes to how we're taking care of our physical bodies, there is no one else that is responsible for that other than us. Our physical therapist can tell me exactly what to do, but when I got scolded this last week for not doing certain of my exercises because of the pain, I was reminded that, listen, it's personal. And if I want to get my full mobility back, then it's got to become really, really personal. When I decided to, uh, several months back that I was going to shed some weight, lose some pounds, I could blame my wife for the groceries she was buying, for the meals that she was serving, or I could begin to take some personal responsibility. I could begin to help with the shopping. I could begin to help with cooking the meals. I could begin to say, you know what? This is personal. This is about my health and my well-being and I've got to take responsibility for it. Well, guess what? When it comes to your spiritual life, it's personal. Grace Crossing Church can provide you a steady diet of God's love and God's grace and God's truth and teaching. But what we cannot do for every single person that's seated here today is we cannot make the decision to be a person that's going to follow Jesus Christ. It's really, really personal. And so how many of you in this auditorium, coming into 2017, made a New Year's resolution? Perhaps you vowed to do something that you've been putting off, or you vowed to get back to something that you've been neglecting. Can I see your hands if you made at least one New Year's resolution in 2017? Well, New Year's resolutions for, for many of us is about shedding some of those holiday pounds, right? Getting rid of some of that 
extra weight we put on the holidays. Perhaps some of us, it's about getting back engaged into something that we've been neglecting, finishing a project that we've been putting off, and we've just simply been neglected. For some of you, you may have committed 2017, and your resolution is that you're going to run a marathon this year, or you're going to run a half marathon, or maybe you made a resolution like me, and you're not going to run a marathon this year. There's no way on God's green earth you'd ever do that, right? Whatever that resolution is, let me just say it. It's personal. No one can make your resolutions for you, and no one can break your resolutions. We have personal responsibility when it comes to what? Our life, our future, our direction. We make choices. And that's the reason that resolutions all begin with two words, just five letters. I will. It's personal. Well, as we begin 2017, we're beginning a series called It's Personal for the next four weeks. We're going to be talking about our vision, our mission, and our values as a church. But before we get into that, we're going to make it really, really personal this morning. Because every single one of us here are shaped by those three words. Every one of us are shaped by vision, by mission, by values. You can think of your vision as the destination you're traveling, as that destination where you are headed, the place that you want to see your life go. The mission is obviously that thing that, that drives you to get there. It is the things that you're going to do on a consistent basis to provide the roadmap to get you where you want to go. It is the why behind the where. And think of your values as the guardrails. These are the things that are going to keep you traveling down the right path and down the right road. And don't look now, but every single one of us have vision, mission, and values, whether they are by divine design or by default. Every one of us are, are driven by vision, mission, and values. This morning, I want to make this idea of vision really, really personal for our life. Every one of us here in this auditorium has a vision for our life. Now I can tell you that vision obviously isn't the same as you get older. When I was five years old, my grand vision for my life was to have more matchbox cars than my brother had. That was my big vision, my big ambition. That's all I wanted. When I was 15 years old, my vision changed. I no longer was interested in matchboxes. My vision was shaped by the most recent movie that I saw in the theater. So how many of you here are old enough to have seen the original Rocky film in 1976? Can I see your hands? Ha! Huh. I walked out and I was committed that the vision for my life was I was going to become a professional boxer. <laughs> Friend of mine, we actually got a coach. We started to train. We were going to win a junior boxing circuit and I went into several boxing matches and after several black eyes, I decided that's no longer the vision that I have for my life. And then I went to see Saturday Night Fever. And boy, did I learn. Disco dancing is what it's all about, right? Well, I can tell you at 51 years of age, boxing and dancing is nowhere on my radar any longer for my life. 
but every one of us have vision. The second thing I want you to hear about vision is no two visions are alike. Visions are typically different for each individual. When I went to the altar and my wife and I got married, we had a vision for our future. It was not exactly the same, but our vision was long-term. We knew exactly what we were going to be doing in two weeks. That's how long our vision went. Beyond that, we didn't know much. We knew we loved each other. We knew we were to be together. We knew we were committed. And I think my wife always believed that we would spend our lives in eastern Pennsylvania where we grew up. We'd put down roots there, and that would just become home for us. Three weeks into our wedding, we drove 1,200 miles west to Omaha, Nebraska, to visit my brother who had gotten transferred there with his job. We actually lived with them on a vacation that lasted several months because we at the time had no jobs. We were thinking about our future, thinking about what our future held for us. My brother and his family got transferred back several months later, back to eastern Pennsylvania. We put down roots in Omaha, Nebraska. It's where God affirmed his call on my life to the ministry. It's where God began the journey of Bible college training for the pastoral ministry. It's where all of our future began to take shape. And that happened. Because our vision was not necessarily the same about every piece of it, but we knew that God was in it. We did not plan our first child. That was not in our vision. We had different timelines for that. Our first child was a surprise, not to God, but to us. And the third thing I want you to hear about visions is that visions evolve. Visions grow. And they morph and change over time. My wife got a degree in elementary education. She loved teaching. And she believed that that's where she would spend her life until our first child came along. And when our first child, Ashley, came along, guess what? Our vision evolved. We recognized our first priority and our first calling was to our family, and we made a big decision that we were gonna, she was going to stop working as a teacher. We were going to begin to just have her be a stay-at-home mom pouring in to our kids. That's a decision that's very personal that every single person must make. We made that decision. And for the next about nine years, she was not in the classroom. When she went back into the traditional classroom, she recognized it was no longer where she was passionate. But she began to fall in love with a program called ESL, English as a Second Language. Working with students who do not speak English as their primary language in the home. My wife, early in life, felt this nudging by God that one day she would internationally be working with kids. She thought that would mean traveling abroad. What she didn't realize was that God was going to bring the world right here to her. And she got a job working uh, as, as a teacher after getting her master's degree at the age of 50. She gets a job working as a teacher for uh, English, English language learners. And it's what she is passionate about. She didn't see that in her vision in the, in the beginning, but God did. God knew exactly what he had planned. God knew exactly where he wanted to take her. You know, sometimes in life, to see our life clearly, we need a new set of lenses. We need to put on some new frames to begin to see our life clearly. So I had a 
kind of vision of sorts, uh, and a revelation here with the holidays. Um, for the very first time, I asked my wife if I could borrow her reading glasses. It's a big deal. Um, and it was amazing putting on her reading glasses and seeing what a difference a small eyesight correction <coughs> can make. Now, the big news of that story is not that I did it, it's that I would actually admit it to you here on Sunday morning that I'd actually tell you that I put her reading glasses on. But that was a big deal. And it's reminding me that I'm hitting an age in my life where sometimes you need to put on new lenses to see your future clearly. And this morning I want to give you a passage of Scripture that I think gives us a new set of lenses. It gives us a frame of sorts for the series, It's Personal. The entire chapter is really profound. But I want to focus on several verses tucked right in the middle of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Here's what it said. These are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of His body, the church. Now let me just pause there for a moment. I want you to hear something this morning, because we often don't think about this. When the Bible speaks about the church, it is not speaking about building. When the Bible talks about a church, it is not speaking about a denomination. It's not talking about an organization or religious institution. When the Bible speaks about the church, it's talking about God's physical presence here on earth that is lived out through the collection of His followers. This is how God uses His church to advance the ministry of the gospel. God uses every single person who has aligned their hearts to God's kingdom, and you and I make up the church. So when you hear the word church, please don't think building. Please don't think denomination. Please don't think religious organization. Think people. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. Here's the part I want us to notice. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. There are two things I really want to, uh, to earmark in this passage, in this scripture verse, this last statement, because I think it's profound. First of all, it says, as each part does its own special work. Did you know that before you were ever created by God, 
God had a work for you to do? There was something God had in mind for you to accomplish before He ever created you. And there are things that God has called me to do, that God has gifted me to do, that God has specially put me on this earth to accomplish that you are not called to. But watch this. There are lots and lots of things that you as a church body are called to do that I am not called to do. That I am not specially equipped by God to do and I should not do that. Every time I see our band up here and every time I watch the gifts and the talents of this team, I'm absolutely humbled and overwhelmed by the, the, the incredible way that God has uniquely gifted these band members. Here's reality. We have a tremendously gifted band at Grace Crossing Church. And guess what? I am not part of it. Now, I will tell you, I did write and record one song that I gave to Kelly when we were engaged. You will never hear it. Okay? Um, we, made, we made a pact. Okay? Uh, if, if that day ever comes, don't hold your breath, but if it ever comes, it'll be a big moment if I ever play that song for you. The reality is, every time I watch our children's ministry team do what it does seamlessly, with grace, with compassion, with patience, I'm reminded of the way that God has uniquely gifted the body to do things that he has not gifted me to do. As each part does its own special work, watch what happens. It helps the other parts grow. So that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Grace Crossing Church, we are more committed to being a healthy church than we are being a megachurch. Now don't get me wrong. Does God want His church to grow? Absolutely He does. Would I like to reach more people and have a wider impact in our community, a wider touch? Absolutely. But only if it's God's will and only if it doesn't come at the expense of remaining a healthy church. It is not accidental or coincidental that the word growth appears in the middle of the word health and love. When people think about Grace Crossing Church, I want people to think of us as a healthy church and a church full of love. And it is those things that we must be most responsible for, and then we let God do His work of growing us as He chooses to grow us. We honor Him, we follow Him, we surrender to Him, we live within our limitations and our needs, and we understand that what God is doing for Grace Crossing Church is unique for us. And so as the next four weeks unfold and we talk about vision, mission, and values, where I want to focus this morning is this idea of vision for you. Because before we talk about fully God's vision for Grace Crossing Church, it's very, very personal. Now last weekend, we gave out and we called our church to a month-long prayer. It should be in your handout this morning and uh, if it is, we'd ask you to refer to that here just momentarily. If you're in our auditorium, if our hospitality team could prepare to serve us, and you did not get one of those handouts coming into this auditorium this morning, we'd love to put one in your hands, because we need all in for prayer.
prayer for the month of January. So we're asking everyone here, if you didn't get one, lift your hand, and our hospitality team will bring you one of our handouts. And in that handout, there should be a prayer guide. And we would just ask you to join us in prayer throughout the month of January as we pray and as we ask for God's grace and for God's help that we as a church become healthier, that we as a church begin to grow, that we as a church become full of love the way God desires and the way God intends. Now, this particular week, we are, and just keep your hand up, thank you for your patience, we, we will get them to you uh, here as soon as we uh, uh, maybe collect some extras that are laying out there in the gallery, we'll get those in your hands. Um, we are not going to focus on the entire vision statement this morning. But what time will allow us to focus on is the first part of it. Because it's very personal. It's very, very personal. We'll give our hospitality team just a moment to get these distributed. And then I'd like to display for us the first part of the vision. This, by the way, is not new. But it's been reaffirmed began actually in the fall of 2015 when I went to our staff at the time and I said, listen, there is a verse of scripture that God has deposited in my heart that's really beginning to be seared inside of me. I don't really know what this means, but I'm feeling like God may be stirring this in a significant way for the future of Grace Crossing Church. And over this past year, as we have prayed together and as we've talked um, one of the things that we've become affirmed by is that this is God's vision for the future of Grace Crossing Church. We'll talk more about this holistically in that verse of Scripture next weekend. But here's the first part of it that I want to zero in on this morning. We see an emotionally healthy church filled with fully surrendered Christ followers. We see an emotionally healthy church filled with fully surrendered Christ followers. It's personal. God has a vision for your life. This may come as a tremendous shock to you this morning, but did you know God had a vision for your life even before you were conceived in your mother's womb? Did you know God saw your life and His vision for you before your parents ever talked about starting a family? Jeremiah chapter 1, verse number 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Please do not miss the active participant in that verse. And do not miss the receiver. The one who is more passive. Notice what God says. I formed you. I knew you. I set you apart. I appointed you. Long before there was ever a vision about you from anyone else, God had a vision about you. For this past holiday season... I met a young lady for the very first time. Her story was remarkable. 
She was actually conceived in her mother's womb by a kidnapping and a rape. Her mom spent months in captivity. And she is the product of an unplanned pregnancy caused by forceful rape. This fall, this young lady who has surrendered her life to Jesus Christ, this fall, she'll be going to Bible college to study for the ministry. Now, there are so many other ways that story could have ended. In today's culture, that story could have easily ended with what? An abortion, right? Her life could have been over. But guess what? God saw her. God had a vision for her. And God had a plan for her that she did not even understand for her life. This morning, I want you to know God has a vision for you. And there are some things God envisions about your life that I want you to be able to wrap your head and your heart around. And we're going to talk just about one of them this morning. The very first and most important one is that God envisioned you to become His child. God envisioned you to become His child. Before you were going to become a child of anyone else's, God envisioned that you would become His child. Here's what John chapter 1 says of Jesus. Even in his own, his own land and among his own people, the Jews, he was not accepted. Only a few would welcome and receive him. But to all who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. All they needed to do was to trust him to save them. Now, here's why this verse is so powerful. Because it tells us that we are both God's creation and we are also, God's desire for us is also to become His children. He came to what? His own people. He came to those that were His own, belonged to Him. He wasn't accepted. But to everyone who accepted Him, He gave them the right, the privilege, the opportunity to become children of God. Every human being is God's creation, but not every person is God's child. You are born and you become part of a physical, biological family by a first birth. But according to God's Word, you become part of His family by a second birth, by a new birth. There has to be a transformation that takes place that ushers you in to God's family that makes you His child. And that divine transaction only comes by those who recognize their need of God who choose to place their trust in Him to save them. Now that's really significant. Because there's a lot of people who go to church who are not necessarily... God's child, who have not necessarily made a decision to become a follower, a fully surrendered follower of Jesus Christ. I remember when I first heard the term personal relationship with Christ. 
Growing up in a Catholic family, um, I was somewhat religious. I learned things about God. I had statues on my dresser. I had the rosary on my dresser. I was taught certain practices spiritually. But it wasn't until the age of 16 that I was introduced to this idea that I could have a personal relationship with God. It was absolutely an overwhelming thought to me. And I didn't even understand what it meant. I just knew I wanted it. I just knew that I was ready for something deeper, more significant, more meaningful. I never even realized that God wanted to know me and have that personal relationship. And for a lot of us in this auditorium today, this idea of a personal relationship with God can still feel somewhat mysterious. So this morning, I want to take the mystery out of it. I want to take the mystery out of this idea of personal relationship. If you don't really understand what that means, if you've never really felt like you have that, then listen to what I'm about to say. This all begins perhaps best with a definition. A personal relationship is simply a close connection formed through bonding and interaction. Let me say that again. A personal relationship is a close connection that is formed by bonding and interaction. And it is developed through similar and shared experiences. So when we talk about a personal relationship with God, there must be both what God does and what we do. And I think there are some non-negotiables when it comes to a personal relationship. I think it means you've got to think about the other person. I think it means you've got to talk to the other person. And ultimately, it implies that you are actually talking with and having conversation with that other person. Now, Psalm 139 tells us that God is always thinking about us. Listen to what it says. Psalm 139, 17 through 18. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of the sand. Here's what that means. That means God is continually thinking thoughts that are in your direction. And God is also continually trying to get your attention. The question is, are we giving him attention back? Are we thinking thoughts toward God? Are we talking to God? Are we having conversation with God? I was biologically born to a mother that I have no real personal relationship with today. Over 30 years, I was introduced to a woman who was going to become my mother-in-law. And I don't think a week goes by, a day goes by, that he don't speak on the phone with her, that we don't get the privilege of hearing her laughter and often hearing her and my father-in-law say, can we just pray for you? And they often pray for Grace Crossing Church in their prayers. My mother-in-law thinks of us. She talks to us. She talks with us. My biological mother doesn't do that. And so though I'm biologically connected to someone who I share a name with, I don't necessarily have 
a relationship with her. You can be God's creation and not be God's child. You can actually be born and created by God, but not born anew by God's Spirit. So one day in John 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and here's what he says. He says, what must I do to be with God in heaven, to inherit eternal life? Jesus simply replied, you must be born again. And Nicodemus says to him sarcastically, oh, do you mean I'm to crawl back into my mother's womb and be born anew? And Jesus' response was insightful. He said, flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. Just as there was a physical birthing of your life, there must be at some point a spiritual birthing of your spirit person. You must come alive in your spirit and be, become one of God's sons, beloved sons, or beloved daughters. And so here's the invitation that we're given in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Now notice this. This, this is your true and proper worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. How many of you, by applause, would love to know God's will for your life in 2017? Can I hear you? The Bible tells us how. And though this verse, this passage, is filled with so many powerful words, Perhaps the most powerful word is the most insignificant word. It's that first word, therefore. Because whenever you read the word therefore, think connecting dots. It is connecting the thought that, that the author is about to say with something that the author just said. And so to really understand what this verse is about, you've got to go back four verses. And you've got to connect the God dots and say, God, what is this all about? Let's do that this morning. Here's what Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36 say. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments, his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his Counselor. Let me get the balls up there. I know a lot of really well-trained counselors. There's a lot of highly respected people that I know that I would go to and I would trust with counsel in my life. But who was going to counsel God? <coughs> There's no counselor that is trained enough to counsel God. And then it goes on to say, who has ever given to God that God should repay them? Let me ask you, what gift have you given to God this Christmas? <coughs> As you were thinking about all the gifts, have you given to God anything that God should have to repay you? For from Him, and through Him, and for Him are all things. 
To him be glory forever. Amen. Therefore, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to present the only thing that you can present to God that's going to have any real worship value to Him. And that is giving to Him your life in full and complete surrender. Becoming one of God's children. As our band comes this morning, it's personal. Before we talk about what God collectively wants to do at Grace Crossing Church, it begins with God's vision for your life. And God's vision for your life is that you'd be His son. That you'd be His daughter. That you'd be born anew. That you would experience a second birth that can only come by God's Spirit. And what the Bible says is that when this transaction happens, you begin to call out to God, not as God, but as Father. He becomes your Father. There is a personal relationship where you begin to think about God back. You begin to talk to God and talk with God. And this morning, the greatest decision that you can make for 2017 is about to take place. There are two groups of people that I think this morning the Lord is trying to stir the hearts of. The first group are those who the idea of a personal relationship has been somewhat poor. The idea of being God's child is like something you can't even imagine. And you may not even feel like you are worthy enough and good enough to be considered God's child. Well, guess what? You aren't. That's where God's grace is. Jesus came to give his life, to break down the wall of hostility that existed between us and God, and to say once and for all, there's a way. There's a way to have a relationship with God directly. The second group of people are those who feel like their faith has flatlined. There was a day, a day in your life where your faith in God was vibrant, where your relationship with God was flourishing. It was your top and highest priority. But if you're honest with yourself, you come out of 2016 into 2017 and your faith is flatlined. And you need God to reawaken you. You need God to renew something in your spirit, your heart, to reaffirm that He is your Father and you're His child. You need to start this year new. So I'm going to ask you to stand. And I'm going to pray. And as soon as I finish praying, the band's going to lead us in a song. Jesus at the center of it all. And if this morning you're here, I'm going to ask you to make one of the most courageous decisions of your entire life. This will be one of the boldest things you'll ever do. I'm going to ask you to step out from where you are and come and join me in the front. Because we see a church, an emotionally healthy church, filled with fully surrendered Christ followers. Listen to what I'm about to say. We're glad you're at Grace Thompson Church. We're thankful that you're here. 
But if your faith is tethered to this church, or to me as a pastor, the pastoral staff and the team, listen, the reality is every church is called the body of Christ. It's like a human body. It will not be on this earth forever. Every physical church has an expiration date. My wife and I went to our church where we got married when we were back in eastern Pennsylvania that this past May closed its doors. Reality is, every single place has a time and a season. But if our faith is connected to Jesus, if our hearts are tethered to Him, we are tethered to forever. And I'm asking us this morning to say, God, we're giving you our life. We're, we're giving you our hearts. We're saying, we want to be your son, your daughter. I did that in that small church in Morgantown, Pennsylvania in 1981. And I stand before you today as a product of a decision. We invite you to make it personal today. Father, help us to have the courage today to just respond to your invitation and your call. You're asking us to, inviting us to be your son, your daughter. You're wanting to renew our faith, to reaffirm who we are. Help us, I pray this morning, to make it personal. To be willing to give our hearts and our lives to you. To put you at the center of our life at the beginning of 2017. We pray that you'll meet us in this moment of prayer this moment of surrender. This is the place where we end, God, and you start. We pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.